title of the message this morning is In the Beginning, God. Uh, you may want to turn to John 1, where I'll be referring more than any other place. Uh, but I want us to understand this morning the importance of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In John 1, you have very clearly a deliberate echo of that text, that foundational and essential text, where John writes, in the beginning, what? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, he continues, verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then if you'll drop down to verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What was uh, there at the beginning? Well, according to the Bible, there was God. That's declared in Genesis 1. And according to John 1, uh, the confirmation is the presence of the Word of God, the Son of God, God the Son, who came into the world, who was made flesh and dwelt among us, and in his dwelling among us, we beheld his glory. We saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If, um, if it were not true that in the beginning was God, then the rest of the whole Bible is incoherent. It would be a document on, on par with, say, Homer, the Iliad and the Odyssey, just a collection of myths, uh, just the best of, of uh, human imagination or, or human reason uh, brought together in, in a particular place. And belief in what it says is optional. But if it is true, as we read earlier in the service, uh, Matthew 128, that in Christ we have Emmanuel, God with us, no less. Uh, Christ is God with us, the Son of God, God the Son, incarnate, present with us. And that is uh, the absolutely crucial foundational thing that we all need to understand. And I want to develop that thought in three, in three different directions. I want us to see that it's uh, vital and key to understanding meaning, that the, that the world and we in particular have meaning, and number two, it's a key to uh, our own identity. And then number three, it's the key to our destiny. So starting, number one, with me meaning. In the beginning, there was what? Something had to have been there from the beginning. I don't know what's discussed in schoolyards these days, but when I was a boy, we used to have little arguments in my elementary school about where... God came from. And our answer, those of us who were attending Sunday school, was, well, he didn't come from anywhere. Uh, he just always was. He's eternal. And then the opposition would say, ah, oh, that's no fair. You can't say he always was. 
And the rebuttal to that should have been, but I wasn't clever enough at the time to respond to it, was something had to always have been. You can't have uh, all that exists, all right? We do exist, don't we? We didn't need Rene Descartes to tell us that. I think, therefore, I am. We exist. There is a world that exists. Uh, so uh, that, that existence had to ultimately come from something because you can't have pure nothingness producing something, right? Something can't come from nothing. Absolute nothingness cannot produce something. And then a train of causation result in us being here today. There has to be an original something all the way back there. In other words, eternity is built into the fabric of the universe. There has to have been something there at the very beginning from which all else has been derived. Uh, so what was there at the beginning? Well, there's a couple of answers that society gives and, and uh, the academic world and the philosophers give. But uh, I find them all to be very inadequate. It's sort of some, somewhat ironic that Bible believers are, are accused of being anti-science and anti-intellectual. And, and, and yet, does it, does it make any sense to say that uh, all of existence can be traced back uh, to an origin, origin that is not living? so that you have life springing from death, so that you have a totally dead universe, and out of a dead universe, life emerges, you know, plant life, animal life, human life, and yet the universe is dead? You go back to a material a beginning or an a, a, a energy at the beginning, those are, those are the uh, most prevalent can, candidates, that you have some, some dense matter somewhere, and then it explodes in a big bang, and, and so everything goes back to either matter or it goes back to energy, but it's dead. And so you have a dead universe producing living, living beings. Now, that seems unsatisfactory uh, to me. Uh, how about uh, a dead universe uh, producing uh, personal beings? So you have an impersonal, that is a materialistic or energy as the beginning, and, and outsprings personal beings capable of volitions and, and reason and intellect. So you have a non-reasoning, non-thinking universe that produces thinking, reasoning, volitional beings. That seems unsatisfactory. Um, you have a meaningless universe, because if there is no God at the beginning, then there's no mind behind it, there's no design, there's no purpose to the universe, so that you have at the beginning, if you have at the beginning an, a, 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 a either matter or energy, you have matter and energy producing a, de a, a, a life and personal beings and a world in which there is no meaning. And then fourth, if all of the, if the origin of the universe is, is, is traced back to matter and energy, uh, then we are living in a non-moral or moralless universe. So that uh, there's no right and wrong, there just is. Things just are what they are, and there, there's, no, there's no meaning to it, there's no, there's no values, there, there's no right, there's no wrong, there's no ethics, there's no morality. Things just are what they are. So it seems to me that when the Bible says in the beginning was God, in other words, a, a, a personal, uh, 
reasoning, thinking, volitional being, it, it is providing the most plausible explanation for the existence of all that there is. We trace ourselves all the way back to what? To just energy? To just, to just a material thing? No, to a personal thinking, reasoning, volitional being, God. In the beginning, God. And moreover, in the beginning was the Word. How do we know that we go back to the beginning, which was God? Well, because that God, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, that word that was God, through whom all things were made, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. There's the point. How do we know it all goes back in the beginning? God, that in the beginning there was God, a thinking and volitional being. What support do we have for such a thing? The incarnation of God. The God who became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, who was God with us. And whose glory was manifest, glory was revealed as of the only begotten, full of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, the eternal something is a person with a mind who's capable of thinking and conceiving and with a will who acts and creates. And so there is design and purpose and meaning in all that is around us, in the world itself, and especially in us. And Jesus is the confirmation of the declaration of Genesis 1.1. Jesus said, to see me is to see the Father. He said, the Father and I are one. Paul in Colossians chapter 1 and again in chapter 2 says, He is the image of the invisible God. All the fullness of deity dwell in him. Hebrews 1, he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. So, that ultimate reality is God. Means that the universe has Meaning. It means that history has meaning. It means that we have meaning. It means that there is a design and a purpose and a goal behind all that there is. All right, secondly, be more specific. It's the key to our identity and our purpose. Who am I? Well, if there is no God then I have, a, I have no idea who I am. I don't know the first thing about myself if there is no God. Uh, I, 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 just, I just am. I just exist. I'm a, I'm a cosmic accident. I just sprang into the world out of, uh, out of a, 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 a meaningless world along with other living things and with other personal beings. I think with the decline of Christianity, uh, we are placing the burden on people more and more in a post-Christian world to create their own identity. And so this is why I think we see uh, the um, tremendous variety in styles of grooming and wardrobe. And some of the sociologists are talking about how that brand has supplanted product in our consumer society today. In other words, what's important is not the product, but the brand. It's not the, not, not, not the quality, but the image that's projected by the brand 
that one has. In other words, when you buy um, your athletic shoes, the crucial thing is to have the swoosh mark on it. And not, 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 not the quality of the foam and of the plastic. Uh, that's, that's secondary. The, the primary thing is, uh, what, what brand is it? Why? Because the, the, the crucial thing is the image. The crucial thing is the brand. It's not the product itself, it's the quality. Why? Because it's all wrapped up in our image of who we are. And, and why is that the, so? Because we don't know who we are, because we don't know God. And so the burden is on us to create ourselves and, and determine our identity and, 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 and where we belong and, and where we fit and, and who we are. Whereas if the Bible is true, and it is true that in the beginning was God, then what do I know about myself? I know, number one, that I'm a creature of God. I was made by God, by the God who thinks and acts. He made me. In other words, I am the product of a deliberate design and purpose. There is a purpose behind my existence. I have a role to play that has been divinely ordained. That would be true of every single person who has ever existed. I'm made by God. Uh, secondly, I'm accountable to God. I answer to him. I answer to him in connection with my design and purpose. What did he design me to do? For what purpose did he make me? I'm accountable to God for that. A third, I'm made in the image of God. That means that I, along with all other human beings, I'm unique among created things. And it means that there's a particular dignity and sanctity and worth and value in my life and the life of my fellow human beings. And then fourthly, I was made to serve God. What is my purpose? Well, it's not to serve myself. We have a higher calling than that. Our purpose doesn't terminate on ourselves. In our own fame or honor or public recognition or to make a fortune or to indulge various pleasures. No, what we were made to do was to know God and obey God and please God and trust God and honor God and glorify God. A few years back, Daniel Borstein wrote the book, The Creators. It was back in 1992, and uh, one of the obvious points of the book is that when people invent things, when they create things, there's a purpose, there's meaning behind it. What they create, what they, what they, what they, what they make, has a function. There's a, there's a reason for the thing that they make. Uh, somebody threw their, their smartphone into the trash can and said, look, this thing is of no value at all. It can't, wa it can't wash my car. What, what, why, would I want, why would I want a smartphone when, when it can't even wash my car? My car goes unwashed, and, and my smartphone, it's, it's, it's not able to, to perform that function for me. Of course, that would be absurd. It would be ridiculous. They're not made. They, they have a lot of functions. But that's not one of them. That's not what they're made to do. And so to expect a smartphone to wash your car is absolutely absurd. Well, the same thing is happening with respect to human beings. We have a function. We have a purpose. We have a design. We have meaning. There's that which we were meant to do. And when we stand outside of that purpose and that meaning, then we have the same kind of a problem that the smartphone has when it's being accused of not being able to, to wash the car. We are standing outside of that which we were designed to do. Most of our contemporaries don't know who they are, why they 
what they were made to do, why they are here, and as a consequence, they are floundering. Whereas, as a Christian, what do we know? Well, let's, let's cite some examples. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul speaks of it being our ambition to please God. That is our aim. That is our ambition in life. What do we want to do in life? We want to please God. That's what we were made to do. That's what we're designed to do. That, that's the chief motive, ought to be the chief motive behind everything that we do. That's when we're functioning properly, when we understand that we were made in order to please God. That's, that should be our, our goal above all other possible goals that we would have in life. That would be number one. That would be absolute. That would be at the top of the list, is that we want to please God before anything else. Or take, a, take another example, the Second Corinthians 5.15. We are called to live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised again on our behalf. We live no longer for ourselves. If I'm living for myself, I don't understand what I was made to do. You see, in the beginning, there was God. That means ultimately, it, uh, all answers, ultimately, they resolve in God as to who I am and why I'm here and where I will go. It all goes back uh, to God. And Jesus is the revelation of God. He's the Word who was in the beginning with God and was God and became flesh and dwelt among us. And so what is life? Life is not the service of myself. You know, we have a, we have a social club, meets in downtown Savannah, service above self is its motto. That's a correct insight, probably founded by Christians. In fact, I think it was. Service above self. So the Apostle Paul says, listen, if, I, if I'm living for self, I'm missing the goal, the purpose, the meaning of life. I'm, 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 at, I'm disconnected from what I am meant to do, what I'm designed to do. I'm trying to wash the car with a, sm a smartphone. It's not functioning right. It's not working right. It's not doing what it was purposed to do and designed to do and meant to do. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.31, whether we eat or drink or all that we do, we're to do all to the glory of God. All. You take the most mundane of activities, the most necessary but mundane of activities. Whether we eat or sleep, those are pretty, fun pretty, pretty fundamental, aren't they? In order to function, we have to eat, we have to sleep, we have to breathe. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we're to do all to what? The glory of God. Shorter Catechism nailed it. What is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what I'm designed to do. That's what I'm meant to do. That's the purpose of our existence. That's why we were here. Why? Because in the beginning was God. How do we know for sure? Because the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. We see that glory in the, faith of, in the face of Christ Jesus. Let's try it again. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 24 says we're not to be, live for self, but for the good of our neighbors. We are to have, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, 5, the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. He is the revelation of the will of God. What was that attitude that I'm to regard others as more important than myself? Uh, that I'm to look out not only for the uh, my own interest, but the interests of others also. That's Philippians 2, uh, 3 to 5. How do we know who we are and why we are here? Because in the beginning was God, and He made us, and He designed us. And there's a purpose and a reason behind the design. 
There's a function that we're, meant, that we're meant to play. There's a role that we're meant to fulfill. And so the declaration of Genesis 1-1 is, receives the confirmation in John 1, 1 through 14. When the word that was in the beginning with God and was God became flesh and dwelt among us, Emmanuel, God with us. These profound things, in some ways the simplest things in all the world. If there's a God, certain things follow. If there's a God, you know, and God has spoken and he's revealed himself through the Hebrew prophets and the apostles, but then supremely in Christ the word became flesh, dwelt among us, we could see his glory the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, full of truth, that means everything gets reordered. That means I, I, I begin to understand what I'm, what I'm here to do, what's the meaning of my, my life. And, and that's true whether I'm, I'm digging ditches to the glory of God or, 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 or operating uh, you know, on spinal columns for the glory of God or, or filing legal briefs. It's all to be to please him. That's to be our ambition. It's all for his glory. Why? Because in the beginning, there was God. And, and we've reserved an irrefutable confirmation of that. Because God became man and dwelt with us. And then, uh, thirdly, this is the key to our destiny. What is next? Where are we going? Uh, that's, a, that's a vital question. Would you not agree? Am I just a cosmic accident? I asked that question earlier. When I die, what happens? Do I just vanish? Do I pass out of existence forever? So that little spark of life that I was, the spark just goes out. I came out of non-existence and I go back to non-existence. I'm just a kind of a blip in the radar of history. And then I disappear, like a UFO. I'm just there for a moment and then I'm gone. I never return again. I'm extinguished, I'm annihilated. Uh, Bertrand Russell, English, important English philosopher of the 20th century, his dates were 1872 to 1970. Bertrand Russell said, I believe that when I die, I shall rot and nothing of my ego, meaning himself, nothing of myself will survive. And then he wasn't troubled by this, so he claimed. Wasn't troubled by this at all. He said, I should scorn to shiver with terror at the thought of my annihilation. Yeah, I'm not worried about that at all. I don't shiver. I'm not fearful. I'm not afraid of, uh, of uh, be being annihilated. Uh, again, I'm just, I'm just moving from from uh, non-existence before I was born to non-existence once I die. I think we recoil at this. I think we know that there's more to it than that. I, I think that, uh, that uh, the, the, Im the immaterial explanations for the universe that I, I began this message with, whether it's energy or matter, uh, but the, 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 not the immaterial, but the material explanations uh, for uh, the universe. I think we recoil at those, right? We, we know that our lives have meaning. We know that we are not just a product of a blind, non-thinking universe. 
We know that there is a purpose. We know that there is a design. We know that there is meaning in the universe. The heavens declare the glory of God. The Apostle Paul insists in Romans 1, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature are all clearly seen in what has been made. We, 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 we recoil at the idea that this is all just uh, meaningless, that everything gets traced back to the, a non-personal origin, just matter or energy. We recoil at the thought of that because we understand instinctively and there's something within us that knows that there's meaning to this universe. There's design, there's purpose, that when we go all the way back, it's not energy, it's not matter, it's God, it's a thinking, volitional, omnipotent being. Eternity is built into the fabric of the universe, but that, that which is eternal is not non-personal, it's personal. It's thinking, it's, it's volitional, it's God. And so that we would uh, not ever get uh, confused about it again, that, that, uh, that God who was in the beginning and through whom all things were made and apart from whom nothing that came into being has come into being, he became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the incarnation. That's what's being celebrated at, the, at, this, at this time of year. And so that, uh, so we recoil as well at the idea that, that uh, this life is all that there is. We instinctively know not only that the universe has meaning, but this can't be all that there is. The vast majority of human beings have known this. In their hearts, instinctively, they have known this cannot be all that there is. There must be life beyond. All the ancient religions knew this. All of the uh, con uh, contemporary religions know this. There's more to it than this. And they've, they've, people have known this, this life is just a preparation for the next life. Uh, th th this is just a, a, a time that leads into a life that goes on and on forever and, and ever. This, this life cannot be all that there is. How do we know that this life is not all that there is? Because God the Son confirms it. So Jesus says, I came that you might have life, John 10, 10, and have it more abundantly. You could translate that more enduringly. You know, the word has, has both a sense of uh, quality, abundance, fullness, in a satisfying kind of way. In other words, I came that you might have the life that's worth living, but also I came that you might have this life enduringly. That's a quantity. There's both the richness of the life and then there's the endless extent of that life. Jesus says, John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they, his disciples, might know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. You see, we live on. Or go, go to the, you know, the most memorable and often the most memorized of verses, John 3, 16, God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not what? Perish. But have what? Everlasting life. Life goes on. Jesus confirms it. He confirms what the Bible has said all along. 
But he confirms that life goes on, that this life is not all that there is, that there is another world. And so he says to his disciples in those immortal words, let not your heart be troubled. Why, why would our hearts be troubled? Well, because I think in the modern world, there's an, there's an emptiness and a bleakness and a, and a darkness about it. We are so much in the material realm that it, 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 it can seem as though this life were all that there is. And then we die. And we, when, when we contemplate death, we do so with fear, with dread, with horror. And there's a certain amount of that that's natural because death is a curse. Um, it is. It's God's curse upon sin. It's unnatural in that sense. Adam and Eve need not have died. It was because of the entrance and sin in the world that there is death at all. So there is a natural abhorrence of it. But, but our, our, our sense of things goes beyond that. There is a deep-seated dread and fear. And so to his disciples at the time of his impending death and their future martyrdom says, let not your hearts be troubled. Why? Believe in God. In the beginning, God. Believe in God. That means life has meaning. Life has purpose. There's a design to our existence. There's meaning behind it. So let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are, I like the old King James, many mansions. Wasn't it wonderful? Sometimes translated many, many rooms. I think that's the ESV. Many dwelling places is another more modern translation. Uh, but the point, there's a place for us in the next world. In my father's house. He's talking about eternity. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about the future. In my father's house, there are many rooms. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. See, Jesus, what the Bible declares at the beginning, Jesus confirms in his ministry and his promises apply to us, to all who believe. Life goes on. To as many as received him, we read earlier, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God even to as many as believed in his name. So what the Bible declares, Jesus confirms. And consider this. A Christian child properly taught the Bible and catechized knows the answers to the great philosophical questions that the Bertrand Russells of the world could never answer. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Those are the fundamental questions. Uh, that, those are the issues that, that the, the great intellects have wrestled with all through the centuries. Who am I? I? I don't know who I am apart from the knowledge of God. I am a being created by God, made in the image of God. Why am I here? I'm here to please God and honor God and glorify God in all that I do. That's to be my priority. That's to be my aim. That's to be my ambition. And where am I going? I'm going to a place that Jesus has prepared for me. So that where he is, there I may be as well. Where is heaven? Heaven is where Jesus is. And that's where his disciples will be. And that's his promise to us. We know 
who we are. We know why we are here, and we know where we are going. And that's why believers can enjoy what the Apostle Paul calls a peace that passes understanding. Jesus says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. No, the world can't give that kind of peace. That's why we have what the Apostle Peter calls a joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. That's why we can be content in all of our circumstances. That's why the Apostle Paul can say to King Agrippa, as we saw a few weeks ago, would to God that you were altogether such as I am except for these chains. The ragged, chained apostle knows he has more in Christ than King Agrippa with all his pomp and splendor had apart from Christ. This is the glorious gospel of the blessed God, and we rejoice in it as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice, O Lord, that in the beginning, God, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We rejoice in the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Drive deeply into our hearts the meaning of these two foundational texts, truths. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.